If you want to open up to Malachi chapter 4, and we'll start in the first verse. Malachi chapter 4 says, Surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. A day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them, but you who revere my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Let me read that one more time. (laughs) And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I act, says the Lord, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. Day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And Malachi is done. I've been in Malachi the last uh, six weeks, and it's a heavy, heavy scripture. And we read it, and it's like, sounds harsh, sounds heavy, but it's been kind of fun to just uh, kind of unpack it a little bit. And, uh, and it's been a really fun series for me to do, um, and I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm glad it's over, almost. <laughs> I've got one more to go. Um, February is uh, Black History Month, and I read something the other day that was pretty interesting. Uh, it's been 400 years, about 400 years ago, uh, back in, in 1619, uh, is when the first Africans came over, and they came to the Jamestown colony. Um, they came as slaves, and uh, they were brought over, and the first time they kind of stepped foot, that we have record of, of on, uh, on what is now American soil. Uh, 400 years ago, 1619, a year later, uh, a boat showed up called the Mayflower, landed at Plymouth Rock a year later, 399 years ago. And it's amazing to think of the time, everything that has happened in the last 400 years. 400 years. I mean, Phoenix, Arizona, not much here. Kind of a desert. Still is kind of a desert, but not much here. Uh, no, no New York, no Chicago, no United States, no President's Day weekend. Um, a lot's happening. Now we're this, this nation of 350 million people, something like that. A lot's gone on in, in, in this amount of time, 400 years. And as I was kind of reading that and thinking this is when you know, the, the first Africans came over, it's been 400 years ago, everything that's happened since then, um, a lot of things, a lot of things have happened. Um, development, progress, amazing. Uh, this is a completely different, different place, North America, American soil. Um, a whole civilization has been created here that we live in. Uh, 400 years also was interesting to me because 400 years is the same amount of time uh, that takes place between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and it's kind of like the last word. Malachi gets the last word of the Old Testament, and then nothing for 400 years. No fresh word from God. That's just as Protestants think. There, there's no divine, divinely inspired word. And then John the Baptist shows up, and we have the Gospels, and we have the life of Jesus. But to think that 400 years passes. I mean, how much has happened in the last 400 years to what we have today? How much different would the world have looked 
by the time that Malachi is done writing to the time that Jesus comes. What happens in those 400 years? You would think that God who is, is inspiring the scripture and he's giving a word to his people and, and he's sovereign so he knows, okay, it's going to be silent for 400 years. What would be the last thing that you would say to the people of God? You would think that whatever that last message would be, it would be kind of important because there's going to be a 400-year gap of silence between testaments. Part of the reason I wanted to study Malachi was I knew that we'd be doing Matthew for Lent, and I wanted to say, how does the Old Testament end? And what is said, that would have to be so important as they go into the New Testament. So we've been looking at Malachi. We talked about the purpose of Malachi was writing for a number of reasons. This is a genre that's called a minor prophet. That's why the language can sound so harsh. A lot of it's symbolic. But the purpose of Malachi is to correct and reform some of the religious and social abuses of the day. He's writing to kind of correct and reform people who've been kind of swayed off their path and to rekindle the fires of faith in the hearts of a discouraged people. Malachi is writing to rekindle the fires of faith in the hearts of a discouraged people. And we've been talking about this culture that, that Malachi is writing to has become very preoccupied with themselves. And so they, the, their, their relationship with God, them, them, them feeling uh, what, like that God is near, um, being in tune with what God is up to, uh, going on in the world around them, uh, they, they've been so preoccupied and so inward focused that it just, their relationship feels numb. Last week how I, I talked about it, it's almost like a frozen windshield. It's just frozen, it's iced over, and they can't see anything. And Malachi is writing to rekindle the fires of faith with his people, to awaken them uh, to what God is up to in that day. And they're so preoccupied. We talked about how there's, in Malachi, there's six different kind of disputes that break out between God and his people. And as we've talked the last few weeks, it's almost like a counseling session between God and his people. Some of us could probably use a good counseling session with God when we consider our own lives and like what's happened to us. And, and here we actually get this conversation between God and his people. And there's, there's these different disputes that, that they're, they're having this conversation about. And, and we talked about how when, from these disputes, these are the things that we do want to preoccupy our minds with for this new year. We want to be preoccupied with God's love. As we said in the first week, this, this is a book about God's unchanging love for humanity. We want to be preoccupied with, with honor, honoring God and honoring each other, just a culture of honor and everything that we do as a church, preoccupied with the faithfulness, both God's faithfulness to us and then us living lives of faithfulness to him, to just to show up, to, to, to be faithful in everyday deeds. We want to be preoccupied with justice, that God is is moving in this world and he's, he's taking the things that are broken and he's making them right and he's taking the things that are unjust and he's bringing about his justice. We want to be preoccupied with generosity. I gave that one to Tyler Ells. You preach about it, Tyler. Good luck. <laughs> and he did a great job. And then last week we talked about being preoccupied with humility. And as we get to chapter four, which I just read, these disputes end. And it's the final word in the Old Testament what God gives his people before 400 years of silence. And there's two things that Malachi says to God's people to do. The first is in verse 4. He says, to remember the law of Moses and what God has done in our past. To remember our story. To remember the sacred text that has been passed down to us. 
there's something really significant about remembering what God has done. Last weekend, I was super sore because I ran a half marathon. I remember it well. Uh, this week, decided to go for a little jog to see how things were going. Uh, and uh, got about two miles in. It was good. It was a good kind of recovery run. Uh, I'm not a runner. I'm trying to be. Really, really hard to be one. Um, but what, what's interesting is when I was kind of training for the marathon and running, um, listened to music, you know, like to, to rock out, get inspired, energy, great music. And, uh, you know, have my iPhone, um, iTunes shuffles on. And as I'm running, you know, you go through so many songs and, and I have all these old songs from a long time ago that I just kind of kept the CD and ended up putting them on my phone. And, and, and as I was running, you know, training, you're, you're running a lot, so you're trying to shuffle through a ton of music, but this old album came up that I was listening to um, by this old band called The Newsboys. Yeah, I remember that, they were in that movie, The Newsboys Aren't Dead, I think is what it was called. God's Not Dead, no. Uh, but uh, The Newsboys, yes. Uh, but they had this album that came out in like the mid-90s called Going Public. And it was kind of famous for this song called Shine. Um, but my favorite songs on that album were, weren't any of the hits. There were songs that no one really had listened to. But I remember as a teenager when God had got a hold of my heart when I became a, a Christian and felt even calls to ministry, um, when, when going through disappointment that God was with kind of me in the midst of the disappointment. Those old songs on that album were so meaningful. And, and as I was running and I was listening to them, it just took me back. I remembered those early days in my relationship with Jesus. There's something about remembering that, that the, uh, the nostalgia that comes from remembering that time where I just felt like God was so alive in my life and I could just experience him all the time, and I was just felt like I was on fire. My, the faith of my heart was just on fire. Something about those songs brought that all back, this early calling that God had placed on my life. There's something about remembering. There's something about the, that to look back to see how God has been faithful in your life, and sometimes we forget. And Malachi tells the people, remember the law of Moses, remember what God has done. And the second thing he does is to anticipate the future, to remember the past, but then to look forward, to look forward. He talks about how Elijah is going to come, the day of the Lord is coming, but to anticipate that God is going to move in this world to set things right in the future. And so the last word Malachi of Malachi is a word to remember the past and anticipate the future of what God is going to do. And I think that's a good word for us today, to remember the past, how God has been faithful, and to anticipate what God is going to do in the future. Remember and anticipate. But what's also interesting is there's this little phrase that takes place in verse 2 that caught my attention. And it wasn't about the calves that are full, that are frolicking, although I have no idea what's going on there. That would be interesting to do a whole kind of message on it. But for those who revere the Lord, those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That's a pretty cool phrase. For those who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And when you read that, you think the sun of righteousness, 
The sun, it was a beautiful day today. Outside, you see the bright sun. But healing in its wings, what does that mean? Does the sun have wings? What's going on there? A lot of translations will say healing in its rays. I'm like, that makes a lot more sense. The sun has rays. When the sun rises, there are rays. There are healing in its rays. This is originally written in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is kanaf. And this word kanaf has a number of meanings. Hebrew's language is much more condensed. Not nearly as many words as the English language. But the word kanaf could mean wings or rays. It could also mean the corners of something. And as kind of read this healing in the wings, this idea of kanaf is found really kind of throughout the Old Testament, what this kanaf is. And as the words sometimes have a double meaning, uh, this is obviously metaphor, right? The language, like the sun is rising with healing in its wings and its kanaf. First time we really see this word is in Numbers chapter 15, and it has to do with dress attire, what people are wearing. Numbers 15 says, Speak to the Israelites to say to them, Throughout the generations to come, uh, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. That word corners is that same word, kanaf. On the wings of your garment, you're supposed to make tassels. With a blue cord on each tassel, you will have these tassels to look at, and you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your Lord. This word kanaf, the wings, is actually, it's a clothing. I think we have a photo of this thing that the, the Jewish people would wear. It was a shawl, a prayer shawl. This is exactly what it's talking about in numbers. And it was almost like a scarf, but it's not like a, like a scarf that a hipster would wear. Although, hipsters would probably wear this. But, uh, and you'll find Jewish people today still, still wearing this prayer shawl. And what's interesting is this, this piece of clothing that they had, uh, it, it, when, when God is, is, is saying, remember the past, God understands that we're visual people. We need things that are symbolic to, to remember, uh, reminders. This scarf was a prayer shawl because there were these tassels on the end of it that represented something. These tassels represented the Torah, the five books of the Old Testament. They represented the commandments, these prayers. And the people of God would wear these prayer shawls. And as they would walk around, these would be reminders of, of looking back, of remembering Moses, just like Malachi said, to look back and to remember. And they would wear them wherever they would go. And if you would wear them, you would wear, wear it around your arms, and it would look like almost like you had wings. And you've probably seen this today with some Jewish people that will wear these, these prayer shawls. Well, the wings that hung off the side of them were called the kanaf. The kanaf. So a legend had started as they were anticipating the future, as Malachi said, of what God is going to do in this world. They saw this phrase about the son of righteousness would come with healing in his wings. And this legend started that, that someday this Messiah would come. And there would be healing in the kanaf, in the wings of his attire, of his prayer shawl. There would, there, would there would be healing. That This is metaphor, right? This is symbolic language. And we're anticipating that someday this Messiah would come with the healing in his kanaf. We fast forward to the life of Jesus. 
in the first century, 400 years after Malachi writes. And there's this story that takes place in all three of the synoptic gospels. It takes place in the gospel of Luke. Chapter 8, verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years old, was dying. I read that. I've got an 11-year-old daughter. So to imagine what Jairus is feeling here, to have a 12-year-old daughter is dying. He's desperate. And he's heard about this Jesus, and he's, he comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and he's desperate. And he says, my daughter is dying. Would you come and heal her? And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. At this point in Jesus' life, his ministry, he's popular. Crowds are swarming him. Uh, he's, been, he's been doing different miracles, and people know that there's something about this Jesus. And he's pushing through a crowd to get to Jairus' house, to get to the daughter, to heal her. The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Been subject to bleeding for 12 years, no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around you and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet, In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's a lot happening in this story. It's a story that we've probably heard before, a story that might be familiar. This woman, bleeding for 12 years. Physical pain. It's interesting, uh, one of the other gospel writers says that she goes to a number of different doctors to get healed. She ex- ex- spends all of her money trying to get healed, and it only gets worse. Luke is writing here. Luke is a doctor. He leaves that detail out for some reason. I don't know. Says that she knows if she could just get close to Jesus and touch his cloak, that she will be healed. Jesus is on his way to heal the daughter of Jairus, who's 12 years old. This lady has been bleeding for 12 years, which means... She has suffered the entire lifespan as this young girl. Jairus has a daughter. He cares for his daughter to the point that he's coming to Jesus, falling at his feet. This woman is alone. She has no one. And at the end, Jesus calls her daughter. If you would have known uh, some of the Jewish rituals, if when, when women are on their cycle, they're, they're ritually unclean, so they're not supposed to be touched. They have to go through this different ritual to be cleaned again before they can come into contact So she has been ritually unclean for 12 years. You can't imagine what that would be like to not have any kind of physical touch. Not only is she suffering physically, that would create kind of a social, uh, she'd be suffering socially, her community, to be around other people, always unclean. She comes, reaches out, and she touches the corner of Jesus' garment and is healed. 
this legend that Malachi talks about how the son of righteousness would come with healing in this kanaf. My guess is that she is anticipating that what Malachi is talking about is now happening in the life of Jesus. And she thinks, if I could just get close to this person who is healing others, if I could just touch the kanaf, the corner of his prayer garment, I will be healed. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. She explains to him why she has done this. I'm trying to imagine, like, I don't know how Jesus' powers work. I don't know how the, what in the world happens. In my mind, it's like, I just, like, I'm imagining, like, a, a paper napkin that touches water and that just absorbs it. Somehow, power is transferred and this woman is healed. And we think about the implications of what this would mean for her, not just to, to physically be good again, but socially, to be reconciled with community. And then at the end, Jesus says, go in peace. It's this word shalom. It's, it's peace as we know it, but it's more than that. It's really, it's restoration. It's wholeness. Jesus heals her physically, socially, spiritually. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. I can't imagine what it would be like to witness this, to see this happen. There's this legend that this Messiah will come, the son of righteousness with healing in its wings, and all of a sudden you start to connect the dots. Wait, wait, she just touched the corner of his garment, and she was healed. Is this what Malachi was talking about? Who is this person? Who is this Jesus? After Jesus dies, is crucified, rises from the dead, is resurrected, we know that his disciples go around proclaiming this message of who he is, that he was the Messiah. And they proclaim it in such a way that even when they're persecuted for it, they don't stop. In fact, all of them are martyred for their faith. And my thought is that when they're martyred for their faith, they probably look back at stories like this and say, this is true because I've experienced it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see glimpses of it in the life of Jesus, and it was real. And I can't really explain how it happened, but it happened. They saw glimpses of this mystery. They were filled with awe and wonder. The 400 years of anticipation that this Messiah would come, the son of righteousness with healing in its wings, and they catch a glimpse of it in this story in Luke 8. This year, when it comes to what we want to be preoccupied. I want to be preoccupied with Jesus, preoccupied with Christ, the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. In the midst of whatever circumstances we are going through, we keep our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's that old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full and his wonder, I don't know the whole words, <laughs> wonder and grace. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This year to be preoccupied with the way of Jesus, with who he is, and with the kingdom of heaven that we catch glimpses of now, this future destination that, that we catch glimpses of now that brings about shalom and wholeness. 
This is what we want to be preoccupied with. Malachi gets the last word. He tells them to remember what God has done and then to anticipate the future. Anticipate this Messiah who's coming into the world to make things right. 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We are preoccupied with this Jesus this year. Remembering who he is. Tim's going to come back up and close us with a song that's about this King Jesus. This is where we turn our eyes to. As Malachi comes to a close, focusing on him. And my guess is that there's people who have different circumstances today. Some of us might be suffering. I doubt any of us are in a place this woman was, where she's been bleeding for 12 years. Some of us have physical ailments. Some of us have social tension. Some of us spiritually just feel empty. Today we invite you to encounter Jesus, to look full into his face, allowing your circumstances and the things of this earth to just grow dim. And that through this you will find life and peace and shalom. And one of the things that we do for, uh, that, that is symbolic, but we think that it's very sacred, is that we come to the table, the communion table, each week. And the communion table represents this incarnation that the Son of Righteousness lives in, on earth. And that his body was broken open for us. And his blood was poured out. And we take a piece of bread and we break it open and it represents this body that was broken on the cross. We take a cup of juice and we drink it and it represents God's blood that was poured out on the, on the cross as well, that was shed. Through the breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood, we find life everlasting. We find peace, we find wholeness, we find healing. We find redemption and restoration. And we invite you to the table today to turn your eyes upon Jesus to preoccupy your mind with him. If you'd like to, to pray with anyone today too, we'll have people available in the back that would love to just pray with you. But let's spend some time just encountering Christ. Let's spend some time in prayer. And when you're ready to move to the table, feel free to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this old word written 2,000 years ago. Reminding us to remember what you've done. Inspiring us to anticipate what you will do. The Son of Righteousness will come with healing in its wings, in its rays, the corners of its garment. We catch glimpses of your kingdom. We're reminded that we need you. Today, Lord, meet us here. Bring about healing in our broken and sick places of our physical, social, spiritual lives. We're reminded that you're good. Preoccupy our minds today, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.